0: Hey everyone, welcome to Pit Stops to Podium, the Red Partners podcast where we talk to execs who have competed and won, taking their companies from high growth to high scale. Well, my name is Brendan Tollison. I serve as the co founder and CEO of Red Partners, and I'm delighted to have with me today Matt Newberger for this episode of Pit Stops to Podium. Welcome, Matt.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Brendan.
0: Well, we're delighted to have you, Matt. It's been fun to see this relationship blossom over the last few months. And for our audience that may not be familiar with who Matt is, uh, Matt is the president and CEO of Newberger & Company. Uh, and Matt, I think it's be a great opportunity to share with our audience a little bit about who your company is uh, and a little about the origin story of how you came to start the business.
1: Sure. Well, Newberger & Company is a Sandler franchise. So we are actually a Sandler franchise And hold sandler licenses in multiple states so georgia maryland and arizona and uh our origin story behind that or maybe a little bit about sandler for those who don't know sandler is a management sales management and selling methodology for getting and keeping clients it's as simple as that Um, the origin story uh behind this i was uh, an investment banker with a bank called alex brown actually traveled to atlanta a lot for our clients And I always found that we were advising companies, especially ones that weren't quite ready for us yet, where they were raising capital, they were interested in going public, they were interested in some sort of transaction, but they weren't quite ready yet. And the reason they typically weren't ready yet was because their infrastructure wasn't as solid as it could be. In other words, they had success, but they couldn't point to how that would be guaranteed in the future, or at least predictable in the future, right? Maybe one very large client or maybe uh, uh, the types of clients that aren't as profitable. And I fell in love with the problem that they were having, which was they were really struggling with the idea of how do we create predictable sales? How do we get a manager to be able to call the number? And this is going back mm, 20 years. Uh, So um, my bank made it very easy for me. They sold themselves twice. So they became bankers Trust which then became Deutsche Bank. And at that point, I woke up one day and I realized I was working for this really big company instead of a company that was based in my hometown. And it just felt different. The decisions were being made from a different place. And I realized it just wasn't as entrepreneurial for me. So I left. Uh, And a couple of startups later, I finally found myself here. Successful startups in healthcare and in communications. And finally, I didn't want venture capital money anymore. I wanted to build something on my own, I wanted to be the person making the decisions, which, as those who know, whoever wanted it, that can be frustrating once you get what you want. But uh, it's been a great journey. So really, it started in recognizing all of these businesses that had great big ideas and lots of success, and and maybe even a great product or a great methodology, but didn't have the sales to predictably support it. Uh, and that is where today—that's our hero. That's who we fight for. It's that. It's that. Cro. It's that. It's that sales manager, whether it's at the the VP or EVP, or it's a frontline sales manager that has to make a number. That's what we're like. And I'd say closely connected to the salesperson. If you don't have happy salespeople, you have turnover. So (laughs) we want those salespeople sticking around.
0: Uh, I appreciate sharing a little bit of the origin story. And um, I think that serves, hopefully, as some encouragement to our audience that says, hey, I, I love... I do have this entrepreneurial spirit. I'd love to find a path by which to experience that. And uh, you've demonstrated that with the Sandler uh, franchises, which is really cool to hear. And then ultimately empowering those organizations to experience sustainable growth. So you talked about that predictability of you know, you have the idea, you had some wins, but how do you make sure that it's predictable to your point earlier? And we'll dive into some of those lessons that you've learned and that they can apply into their uh, domain. Uh, but before we do that, we have a tradition here uh, at Pit Stop the Podium, and that's to get to know our guests outside of work. So we learned a little bit about your backstory for work, but uh, when you're not supporting companies and helping them scale, uh, how do you like to spend your time?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, first and foremost, it's family, right? I mean, I it, it's probably the cliche answer, but I just got back and had a great vacation. Uh, my kids came out to Arizona. We spent a little bit of time just exploring the place, and that was fun. So for me, the best—I don't know if you call it a hobby or whatever—but that would be the first thing. I, would, if you ask me, what do I want to do with my free time? Um, aside from the business questions, it would be spend more time with the family, and and uh, I've been uh, blessed to be able to do that. So that's been number one. Second is, uh, I am uh, right now in the process of getting my pilot's license. So that is crazy. Talk about learning something completely new, (laughs) Uh, which I think is, you you have to put yourself in a very uncomfortable situation every now and then. And when you get my my very first flight, the instructor said, okay, you're going to taxi. And I'm, you know, for me, it was all of a sudden, everything I knew about steering a vehicle went out the window and I'm, I'm turning the wheel on the plane. He's like, that's not doing anything, is it? (laughs) And you you steer with the pedals on a plane. I didn't know that. So, you know, all of a sudden I found myself in, uh, in, in not familiar territory for me, any hobby where I can put myself safely in an uncomfortable situation, um, it it, is something new. So whether that's, I, I love downhill skiing. Uh, piloting is the is the next big frontier for me. Just the freedom to be able to get in a plane and go anywhere I want, anytime I want. Yeah, that's so.
0: that's uh, I think that's not only perseverance, but it's ultimately where you get uh, where you, when you're stretched. Oftentimes, is when you grow. So um, that's commendable. And I think yeah, I was talking to somebody recently, and they talked about you know when the when the CEO stops growing, that's when the company stops growing. And so for right. you to be able to continue to to evolve and uh, to challenge yourself that, that means a lot uh, what, what'd you do with your kids for when they're over there for the holiday
1: oh my goodness we did um it, it let's see, we did Sedona if anyone here listening has been to Sedona I, you know always there's always some place to go there that we didn't know about so we went we explored we went to the Hudson restaurant which is really cool but then went out into the wilderness and kind of looked at the uh the landscape which was nice went to a lot of art shops that kind of a thing so that was really fun kind of a casual day um we went out there's a there's a lake there called lake bartlett and uh, for those who know you can go boating on that lake so we spent some time out on the lake which was fantastic uh there are some great cool places in carefree and cave creek for those people that know, it's kind of like a biker town Oh, cool! not not, not scary bikers like the uh, you know i'm retiring and i'm a biker <laughs> um, great restaurants. Um, my daughter is in theater. She actually just got off of a national tour. Oh wow. So she actually there was an open like uh, there's a restaurant there that has a band and you can actually get up and perform. So she got up there and performed uh, in front of the audience, which was absolutely incredible. So a lot of fun things like that, but that's uh, those are a few of the highlights.
0: Well, oh, it's always fun to get to know our guests outside of work. So I appreciate you sharing.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, well, Matt, let, let's transition to the big idea. I'm sure our, our audience is anxious to get into to the meat of this um, interview. And that's really around how do we help them be more effective at selling. Uh, and so you have this concept around superior selling with attitudes and behaviors. Um, and I, I'd love to unpack that a little bit further. Before we do, like, how do you, when you think about superior selling? What, what does superior selling
1: mean to you? Well... First, I have to mention that my other daughter is coming out in August. So, if anyone hears this and has recommendations for stuff we should do, we've only been <laughs> in Arizona a couple of years. So, I want those comments. Yeah. All right, now back to what is superior selling. Uh, you know, I think first of all, superior selling. You, we sort of talked about leadership, and we'll maybe get into that a little bit more. But for anyone who's listening, I think if, if you wanted to take something away that you could go model we we can always talk about that esoteric you know superior selling is this that or the other but you have a hard time listening to a podcast like this and applying it so i'd ask everybody to just write down three letters b a t behavior attitude and technique and what i mean by this and I'll, and I'll give some maybe some recommendations to maybe go apply some of this stuff but superior selling starts at the top but it involves everybody in the organization I, to use a really simple example, if you have somebody that's delivering something and dropping off goods, the delivery person is a salesperson. The behavior and the attitude and the techniques, the BAT of everybody in your organization ultimately affects your lift in selling. It's not just for the sales team. It's for the CEO. It's for the EVPs, the VPs, the sales managers, customer service department, but... First, it starts by setting a solid goal. What is the goal? And and the goal has to be exciting, it has to be a little scary, and it has to be a little bit like you're doubting it's even possible. You start by setting that goal and then you say, what are the behaviors, what are the attitudes, and what are the techniques I would need to have in order to achieve that goal? By setting the goal slightly outside your comfort zone, you cut off all the sort of time-wasting paths that you might normally take that make sense? Yeah. So if you literally wrote those out, put a goal at the top and then said, what are the behaviors and attitudes and techniques I would have to have? It'd be very simple. So take behaviors as an example. Am I, is my team calling on the right customer? So we had a client who was calling on a customer that was, it was a very competitive, thin margin opportunity. When they changed their behavior to calling on complex less competitive but the client needed a more complex solution that literally that change of behavior created more opportunity more visibility on opportunity and more margin on every deal so they grew sales but more importantly they grew margin at the same time attitude nice. sit down with your team and write a bill of rights what are our rights as an organization when selling to our ideal client. What are our Bill of Rights? You'd be blown away at how many salespeople think no is, is something that should be removed from the vocabulary. I don't think you're trying hard enough until you get to know. Right. If everything you're getting is yes, you're not asking for enough. Yeah. So when it comes to attitude. What's in your constitution? What do you have the right to do? Do you have the right to say no? Do you have the right to a commitment from your client before deciding to move forward or providing a lot of work at no cost, right? Do you have a right to talk to the decision maker? Do you have the right to pick up the phone and actually do an old-fashioned phone call, which is what nobody's doing anymore? So maybe it's an interesting thing. Do you have the right to connect with somebody on LinkedIn? There's all these weird things that we have in terms of attitudes of, you know, getting emotionally involved in the sale, maybe, you know, having money weakness issues, we're uncomfortable with what we sell. That's an attitude problem. These are all things that can go into, what are my rights? I have the right to sell my product at full price. I have the right to say, no, if they don't want that, I I, I have the right, if they're not interested in moving forward this time, stopping the process and determining a better time to move forward. hmm so it's all those things that managers have to look out for in attitude. And then lastly is technique. They have to understand if you're in selling, selling is about psychology. So while we can use ChatGPT to help wordsmith an email and, and or prompt, which we highly recommend doing as part of your game, when it comes to technique, you really, if, you're, if it's human to human interaction, you have to be very good at understanding psychology. How do you build a connection with somebody? How do you get to trust? Do you know what trust is? Are you inserting your competition into the sales process? We just did a survey, which we published on LinkedIn, where the responses we got led to the understanding on our part that there are too many salespeople that are inserting competition and pricing pressure into their sales process. That's bad technique. Yeah. So... We always give people, if you want to think about it for everyone that's listening, maybe a, a quick application here is put ask your team to put the following three words in order. Close, qualify, and present. Now, what would most people say? What do you think, Brennan?
0: Close, qualify, and commit? Present. Oh, present.
1: If you had those three, which order to be a high-performing salesperson, which, what order should those three go in?
0: Let's see. Qualify, uh, present, qualify, close.
1: Present, qualify, close. (laughs) Present, qualify, close. Yeah, I'd say a lot of people probably do that unknowingly. The answer, the majority of the answer I get, of the answers I get are, qualify present close
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this this takes work to get to but if you can if people that are listening can get their team to where the team believes that the right order for those words to go in based on human psychology is qualify close present interesting why would I not involve my client if there, there's, a, there's a there's a great saying which is people never argue with their own data. If I'm the buyer and I say this is true, then that is fact. We all put we all contextualize what's happening in our lives at any moment. I don't want to fight with somebody else's context. So what I'll do instead is let's co-build the solution that you want to buy. And I could do that by asking questions rather than presenting my great features and benefits. As a matter of fact, when I create my best features and benefits, one of my, my favorite stories of all time, I was sitting, we were discussing a $300 million deal at BlackRock station in New York at the time the, 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 the with the CFO of CBS, the broadcasting company,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the CFO's name was Fred Reynolds. And Fred asked my CEO, and I'm sitting in the room right there. So I'm the spiky haired kid with the, you know, the polyester suit that definitely looks like I got it at a thrift shop. And I'm just waiting to see what my CEO says. But Fred says to my CEO, you know, we're considering making a pretty significant investment in your business. What makes you different from everybody else? And the CEO of my company very quickly responded, we're the only people that do this free kind of chat with this type of individual online. Nobody else does it but us. He presented mm-hmm. instead of saying, maybe nothing. He should have said something. Like, I don't know. Maybe nothing. It depends on what you've looked at and what you're looking for. If I can ask a couple of questions, maybe I could help draw some distinctions. But he didn't ask questions. He presented right away. And because he presented, and it wasn't Fred's, the CFO, it wasn't Fred's information saying we were different. It was us projecting that we were different. Fred pointed back on the uh, this big table in a very impressive conference room, points back at the CEO and says, I wouldn't say that if I were you. You're either <laughs> lying or you don't know your competition. Hmm. That's good. And... Needless to say, we didn't get that deal done. <laughs> so um, for me, it was, it it was it, I could see it was painful for the CEO and it was certainly painful for us because we were excited to do a deal. But what a learning experience. I mean, that to me was an MBA in about 30 seconds. Yeah, We can't present. So techniques, when it comes down to technique, go back to your team and just say, hey team, put these three words in order. And let's see then if we can find a way to qualify, then close, and then present. So we're just verifying what it is that our client needs. So if we can do that, if we can get to calling on the right clients, we can get to understanding our bill of rights, what we actually can do, and avoid all the sales weaknesses, emotional involvement, need for approval, money weaknesses, record collection, inserting extended buy cycles. If I can get rid of all that head trash, and I can change our philosophy about how we go to market. I'm actually p- making part of, of my company's value, my sales process. Yeah. Right? So superior selling is all about making sure that your sales process is part of the value of what you sell. So go right. ahead. I'm sorry, Brennan.
0: That's great. No, no. That's great. I think it's a good framework. I love ac- acronyms. Um, so we talked about just to repeat back to everyone, um, what, what Matt talked about was bad behavior, attitude, and technique. Um, and so there's a really good framework. I think that what should be encouraging for most of our audience is, um, these are things we can control. Uh, these are not uh, things that <laughs> you have to have. Uh, these are things that you can be taught and learn and apply, uh, which is really good to hear. And then uh, the second piece we get in the technique, I really like the whole concept to relearn how we engage with our prospects and don't assume. I think that's a big, big takeaway is that people just assume and they start word vomiting. Uh, and what you're describing is um, be curious and, and qualify before you do anything else. Uh, and that's a really good first step. Uh, I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the technique side um, and talking a little bit about um, some of the communication styles that you found to be effective that our audience can start to apply as we think through the technique portion of the behavior attitudes and techniques. So um, I know you've got a few uh, a few different things that we could talk about, but I'd love to hear a rundown of three communication styles that you've seen be effective with your clients.
1: When you talk about communication styles, there is certainly like how you're going to communicate through an email. There's how you're going to communicate face to face, but probably the easiest one for people to look at in terms of communication styles as a way of uh, modifying yourself to your audience. And and again, this is one of those things you're, anyone who's listening, this is going to very quickly understand that I think we all sell all of the time. And if you're not part of the sales game, you're, you're sitting on the sidelines You could be an engineer, you can sit in front of blueprints, All I don't care, you're in selling. So you have to understand if you're going to communicate with other human beings, that that a simple way of approaching it is using primary sensory dominance. There are a million different assessments out there, right? DISC, Myers-Briggs, PI, all these different things that will tell you people's behavioral styles and how to modify yourself to them. And certainly, we sell all the technology that allows you to assess who somebody is and then modify your emails to that individual. But if you're sitting there on the phone in a Zoom call at a conference and you need to connect with somebody, communication styles comes down to primary sensory dominance. How do people like to take their information? Go sit and, and observe a Starbucks line sometime and notice how many different ways people take their coffee. That's a good analogy for how people take their communication, right? Something like a little froth someone on street, black coffee, whatever it is. So primary sensory dominance is using people's natural senses to understand how to communicate with them, right? So we have the five senses we know, but we also know that we probably don't use all five senses. We don't use taste, right? And we don't use smell typically when we're selling. For some people, you might, you know, so some of our clients who uh, actually have to use taste and smell. But for most of us, if you're selling... I don't know, high ticket software, you're probably not. You're probably using sight, sound, and touch or feelings. So when you're looking at communicating with people, understanding how do they like to take their information is really key for your entire team. A lot of times we go in and we know that really the smartest people in the world communicate just like us. But when it comes to, reading your audience. A great way to just read your audience and then communicate back to them is understanding that visual people use visual words, right? They're going to say, see, take a look at this. Auditory people are going to say, how does this sound? Or let me talk this out. Mm -hmm. And kinesthetics, or what we call touch, are people that have to get a feeling. They really have to get an immersive experience. They have to get their hands on something a lot of times. And again, there's a lot of depth behind this. But if you could just very quickly as a manager, a leader, a CEO, and and, and the best CEOs in the world do this, they connect with their audience. And I've seen it over and over again, because I'll be a keynote, and the CEO will be before me or after me. And the, the lousy ones, when it comes to communication, not lousy CEOs, the ones that don't connect with the audience, haven't learned to speak on those three levels. So If you can just with your team say, I'd like you to identify the client as an auditory, a kinesthetic, or a, a visual, which way are they oriented? And let's orient our communication that way. As an example, an auditory is going to prefer if you expect them to make a decision, they like to get an email from you, read it, have the opportunity to modify the agenda for the meeting. The visual will not read your email unless it is three bullet points, right? So I'm going to modify my approach based on identifying how do they like to take their information. Visual needs to be, it needs to be visual. We need to see each other, Zoom call or in person. Auditory, in person, more analogies, lots of preparation before meetings. Kinesthetics, take your time. In that case, I'm gonna look, can I get them to my office? Would it be relevant? Would they like to, you know, would it make sense for them to see some case studies? Mm-hmm. Again, it I'm gonna modify depending, but those are some communication styles that will really help. As I'm drafting my emails, visual, short emails, auditory, a little bit longer with some analogies and kinesthetics, a story.
0: <laughs> so, so I, like, I like that a lot the primary sens- sensory dominance audio visual uh kinesthetic how, how do you if i if i'm a rep i'm listening to this and say hey that's great matt but how the heck do i know which of those three camps they are what are some ways like you mentioned some buzzwords but what are ways that they can uh surface that through their curiosity asking those questions to make sure they know okay he's an audio uh or visual type of um how he receives that information, he or she. So right.
1: what what should they do? Well, you already pointed out that each one of those auditories, visuals, and kinesthetics are going to use appropriate words associated with their style, right? So it's going to be see or look for visuals, for auditories, it's going to be hear sound, and for kinesthetics, it's going to, it's going to be feelings, it's going to be connecting the dots. But when you look at their behavior overall, visuals talk very fast, Auditories speak very steadily, and their words are all with great choice. So they're they're very good at keeping a sort of a level tone and an an even speed. Kinesthetics, there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of deep breaths in terms of the behavior, and they speak the slowest. You're almost like, come on, (laughs) put it out. Yeah. Now, now, a lot of people think that means kinesthetics are slow. Kinesthetics are actually some of the most brilliant people in the world because they're very thoughtful. They're looking at it from all of the angles. And so it's it's understanding match the speed, the tone, and the pace of the person that you are with. If if your team wants to start slow, start by matching and mirroring. Match and mirror what you observe generally. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't, don't be exact. It's going to sound like you're making fun of them. Um, but match the speed and the pace and the variance in the tone people like, and trust people like themselves. We've all heard that I only see about 10% of the population practicing it. Yeah. So leaders, your people will practice what they see you do in the sales meeting, in the kickoff, in your coaching sessions. They will emulate that. You can't say, do this. <laughs> you can't say, hey, uh, try Newberger's training and do what Newberger says. You, they're going to need to see it from you, plus the training, plus the reinforcement, plus in your HubSpot instance, having a box that says visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. Yeah.
0: I like that. Yeah, it's the whole um, what's modeled is repeated. And so they're going to look at the leader, to your point. Um, and you can't do the whole do as I say, not as I do type of framework. Uh, Um, well, Matt, I I can talk to you all day. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, kind of as a final lap, as we uh, wrap up here, uh, if our audience wants to learn more about some of these best practices that you've talked about, um, as it relates to behavior, actions and techniques, I know we talked a little bit about the technique side, but, uh, what's the next step they can take to, to learn more from you?
1: Best thing to do is reach out. So we're um, on all social media. So if you look up Matthew Newburger, you'll find me on LinkedIn, things like that. A lot of people just find me there and say, how, how do I get involved with your organization? Our website is newberger, N-E-U-B-E-R-G-E-R dot Sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R dot com. You can find us there as well. And uh, certainly we'd be happy to talk to people if they've got big teams, high ticket sales, complex sales, things like that.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll hear from a few of our audiences. It's been a really informative conversation. I know I've learned a lot and I'm I'm sure our audience has as well. So Matt, really do appreciate the time and uh, let's stay in touch. All right,
1: Brendan. Thank you. All right. Thanks.